Um, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, uh, that it does renew us, um, that it does show us um, just the goodness of what it is to know you and to be known by you. And we pray that as we look at it this morning, uh, that you would renew us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I've been saying is, uh, going through the book of Ephesians is we're trying to understand what it is to be renewed. What does renewal really look like? Uh, and what we found uh, so far in Ephesians is that renewal is possible for everyone. Like, there is not a human being on the planet who cannot be renewed. Uh, and also, it's possible for everyone to bring renewal. And so, as you're a person who's being renewed, you can actually bring that renewal to other people. And that's what we've seen so far. And then last week, what we saw is that renewal always works from the outside in. So it's not something we find inside. We don't look deep inside to find the better person. Uh, but actually, uh, what we're going to see this week is deep inside is brokenness and, uh, and sinfulness and wrong. And so uh, renewal happens from the outside in. It's something that God gives to us. And that's what we've been seeing. Um, and we're going to get into that. But before we do that, we need to talk about seagulls. Yes, seagulls. Uh, those devilish birds, uh, that's the sky rats, really, that have been ruining Children's Day at the beach since the first child went to the first beach. Uh, those horrible creatures. Um, and uh, I used to, uh, where I used to live, I used to, every morning I'd walk past, uh, I guess it's kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. It's kind of like a sandwich place, but like a chain fast foodie sandwich type place. And uh, every morning, they would open at like 7 a.m., and I would walk past about 7 a.m. every morning, uh, maybe 7.15. And every morning, I would see a seagull outside of this restaurant called Greg's. And this seagull always had a bag of chips. Always. Every time I walked by, I had a bag of chips. And I'm like, where, like, are people just leaving these things lying around? Like, people do litter a lot in the city, so maybe it's just... It keeps finding bags of chips. And the, every day for like a year and a half, I walk past the same seagull outside the same Greg's uh, restaurant. And uh, then one day, uh, it was kind of bouncing around social media in our city. Uh, somebody who worked in that shop took a video of a seagull that every day when they would open up, they had these like kind of automatic doors, the sensor doors, you know? And every day when they opened up, uh, the seagull would come, trip the doors so they would open. It would walk in, it would grab a bag of chips, and then it would run out of the store. And that's how it got every single day for like a year and a half this happened. This seagull would leave its lair because seagulls are devilish birds, so they live in a lair, not a nest. And it would fly to the city center, to this Greg's, and it would go in every day and steal a bag of chips. That is uh, just one example. I could give you many of how awful these birds really are. Um, now, stick with me, because we're taking a long walk to my point with this. Uh, but do you remember Finding Nemo? Uh, do you remember the seagulls in Finding Nemo? So Pixar, through their technology, finally figured out how to translate what seagulls are saying. Do you remember this? Uh, and so what we learn is that awful piercing sound they make is actually just one word over and over again. It's mine, mine, mine. Do you remember this? Uh, like, nothing in a Pixar film has ever proven to be uh, more true to life than that. That that's what seagulls are thinking. Every day that seagull would wake up and leave its lair and go and do this. It would say, it would see a bag of chips and go, mine, mine, mine. It would go in and take it. Um, now, not only is that true to life for seagulls, but it actually might be Pixar's, here, I'm making a huge leap here, okay? So we've done the long walk and now the huge leap, okay? Uh, it might be Pixar's greatest contribution to the description of the human heart. That might actually be their greatest contribution, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to jump straight into the passage to point this out. Sometimes the best way to draw us into a topic is to look at our culture and see where something is true 
and point to that and then look at what the Bible has to say about it, uh, to see what the Bible agrees with it, to see what the Bible challenges our deeply held cultural beliefs and values. But sometimes the best way is to get into a topic is to look at what the Bible has to say first. One of the ways the Bible describes itself is it's like a mirror. And we all know how a mirror works. You look at it and you see what you really look like. That's how a mirror works. And we know that. I didn't even need to describe that because you knew that. Uh, it reveals who you really are. And the Bible works that way sometimes. And this passage is a really good example of that. In this passage, the Bible actually works like a mirror. It's like a, the mirror that uh, reveals that you've had mustard on your mouth since lunch. And you're an hour into your first date with someone that started at 7 p.m., that's how this passage is going to work. Uh, you might be horrified at first at what you see. Uh, but then the Bible does what a good mirror does. It actually then comforts you. And so you're comforted then once you wipe the mustard off, right? I mean, you still feel bad about it, but at least you know you look better. And so it comforts you. It helps set what's right, uh, set right what was wrong. And so as we continue to look at this topic of renewal in the book of Ephesians, we're going to see uh, the Bible's going to be like that. And it's going to show us three things. It's going to show us first, uh, you have more of a need for renewal than you could ever imagine. It's going to show us, secondly, you have more potential for renewal than you could ever dream. And then thirdly, it's going to show us that we have an access to a means for renewal that's outside of ourselves. And so the need for renewal, the potential for renewal, and the means. So let's jump in. You have more of a need for renewal than you could ever imagine. Now, these first three verses, they give us a pretty comprehensive picture then of the human heart. They show us what's really deep inside of us. Deep down in there, it's actually saying that your heart uh, is like this. And I'm going to read this again, but um, uh, you need to recognize that it's written in the past tense. This, these verses are written in the past tense. And it's in the past tense because as Paul's writing this, he's writing it to Christians. So if you're a Christian, this is past tense for you. But if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who says, I've given my life over to following Jesus, if you're not a Christian, then you need to swap the tense of the verbs around. These are actually present tense for you. Um, in other words, in the first line, it says you were dead. But if you're not a Christian, then you actually need to read it in the present tense. You are dead. That's what it's saying. So here we go. Verse one, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. <laughs> Do you see why we need to go to the Bible first uh, to get this, uh, to get into this topic? There's nothing in our culture that is willing to fully admit the condition of the human heart, that's, that's willing to be fully honest with the reality of our hearts. At best, our culture will tell us that parts of our heart, parts of our conditions are sick, but that doesn't give the full story. What the Bible does here is hold up the mirror and shows us what we really are apart from God. And what we are apart from God, it says, is we're dead inside. Why? Why are we dead inside? Well, what does it say? It says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, we're dead because we are sinful. That's what it's telling us. That's what the mirror is showing us. And so how do we get that way? Well, let's keep looking at the mirror because it shows us that there's two foundational ways that we got this way. And both are marked by the word follow. One way is to follow something outside of us. 
The other is to follow something inside of us. So first, the something that's outside of us uh, is, it's a, it's a path. We actually already saw that in our liturgy, that there's a path that we should follow and a path that we do follow. Did you see that? It's talking about the ways of this world. And the word there in the original language is actually the course of this world. Literally, it says that you lived according to the course of this world or according to the path of this world. But it gets really interesting because look at who sets the course. Who's, who made the path? What does it say there? Our translation says, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. But it's actually, it mirrors the last statement. So the first one said, you lived according to the course of the world. And this one says, uh, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So we lived according to the path, which is set according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, what in the world is that? What is the ruler of the kingdom of the air? I mean, are we talking about space force? Is that what's, what's going on here? No, he's, he's talking about demonic spiritual forces. And boy, wouldn't that be fun to dig into? That'd be really fun to dig into. Uh, but that's not the focus of the passage. And what we need to see for now is that the course of the world is not neutral. The way of the world, the course, the path of the world, it's not neutral. It's actually being manipulated by darker forces. And notice where those darker forces are leading the path. So then it says the spirit, referring again to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so what does that mean? What's that telling us? What's the bottom line here? Well, one of the ways we sin is by following something outside of us that then following a path outside of us that leads us to be disobedient. And so firstly, what this is saying is that sin is living in disobedience to God. And one of the ways that we become that is by following something, following a path that's outside of us. But the other way we sin is to follow something that's inside of us. So second, look at the something that's inside of us. Look again at verse 3. All of us who lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now, uh, we know we're looking inside of us because look at the word Paul uses here. He uses the word flesh. It's our flesh. The phrase gratifying the cravings of our flesh literally translates, here's that phrase again, according to, living according to the passions of our, our flesh. And then it goes on to say following the desires and thoughts of the flesh. It doesn't show up in the translation that we're using, but that word flesh shows up twice. And do you see what it's getting at? It's getting not at your physical body. I'm not just blaming it on the weakness of your physical body, but at your self-centered human nature. It says that you're gratifying, you're following what's inside of you, your desires, your own thoughts, your own passions, your own cravings. In other words, the best and most clear definition of sin I can give you from this passage is sin is just putting yourself first. Sin is putting yourself first. That's sin. And so what this is saying is that the sinful heart uses everything, uses everyone, and serves no one. And so here's how, if, here's how it really practically works itself out. Here's how sin practically works itself out. Your life for mine. You exist for my benefit. Your life for me. And that's what the mirror is showing us, that if I look into my desires, my thoughts, my cravings, what I find is that my default tendency is to then use my relationships, use the people, use the things around me 
for my own benefit, to fulfill my cravings, to gratify my desires, to strengthen my opinions. And so if I'm honest, the most important question in any relationship then is what's in it for me? So I know this person and they're great, but what's in it for me? And that even if I have to give something up, the benefit, so like even if I have to serve this other person, really what's in my heart is that, well, the benefit better outweigh the cost. Better be worth it for me to serve this person. Now that's pretty bad. That's what the mirror is showing us. It's showing us that if you look inside, what you see is self-centered human nature. And that's pretty bad. Because it actually puts us at odds with the people around us. But it actually is worse. It actually gets worse. Uh, not only does sin lead us to such a self-centered uh, human nature that we say, your life for me, but it actually puts us, it puts us at odds with God. Did you see that at the end of verse 3? It says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What this is saying is that your self-centered human nature is what makes you an object of God's wrath. In other words, it, it means that you're God's enemy. That's what it's telling us. And so here's ultimately what self-centeredness does, what sin does. It Not only does it say your life for mine, but it actually causes us to put ourselves in God's place. The way that God designed and created every human being was so that God would be at the center of our lives that he would be on the throne of our lives, that he would be the object of our worship, that we would obey him, that we would live to please him, that, that he'd be the center of everything for us. But sin knocks God off the throne and puts yourself there instead, which actually then makes you God's enemy. That's what the text is showing us. That's what the mirror is revealing to us. And let me just briefly relate this back to the overall theme of what we've been looking at, which is renewal, right? Self-centeredness is actually the opposite of renewal. It's the opposite. Don't you see that if everyone puts themselves first, then renewal isn't possible. Like, you can't be renewed, they can't be renewed, no one can be renewed, because everyone's just thinking about themselves. If it's your life for me, how could you ever possibly bring renewal to another person, right? Because it's their life for you. Being renewed and bringing renewal requires everyone to flip that around. And so instead of your life for me, it needs to become my life for you. So, so far we've seen that we have more need for renewal than we could ever imagine, and it's pretty bad. That's the negative side, but that's just the mirror being honest with us. But in verse 10 we find out, if you skip all the way to the end, there's a, there's a plus side to this. You have more potential for re renewal than you could ever dream of. And so, yeah, you, you have more need for it than you could than you can imagine, but you have more potential for it than you could ever dream of. Skip down to verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And what you see is there's potential for two things. So first, there's the potential to be renewed, more potential to be renewed yourself than you could ever dream. But also, secondly, you have more potential to bring renewal than you could ever dream of. And so first, let's look at the potential to be renewed. It says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Now, do you know what that's referring to? Oh, well, I really, I wish we could get all the way into this, but this is, this is referring to the doctrine of the image of God in creation. 
But if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see this. Do you remember how Genesis 1 says everything was created? Do you remember how it goes? And God said, let there be light, and then there was light. Do you remember that? And God says, let there be plants and trees, and there are plants and trees. And God said, let there be animals and there are animals, and so on and so forth. This happens over five days of creation. It actually bleeds into the sixth day of creation. But when you get to the creation of of humankind, there's a change. There's a change. Even, even earlier on the sixth day of creation, when God creates the animals, God says, let there be, and then there is. But then it gets to the creation of humankind, and there's a change. And when you read a list like that, and there's a pattern, and you see a break, that's where you should pause, because that's the emphasis. And here's how the pattern breaks. In Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, and you're expecting him to say, let there be. But instead, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Not let there be mankind, but let us make. What's that saying? Hold on to that. Then in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And so not only did God make humankind, but he made humankind in his own image. And it's such an important point that the text actually makes it twice. It says he made him in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Now there's more because when you get to Genesis chapter 2, it tells you how God made the first man. So what we saw in chapter 1 where it says, let us make, in chapter 2 you see how he does it. Let us make. It says uh, that he, uh, and here's the important word in chapter 2, it says he formed him. From the dust of the ground. And so he does more than speak. It's almost as if God used his hands. Not only that, but it goes on to say that God breathed life into his nostrils. Into his nostrils, he breathed the breath of life and the man became a living being. That's what it says. And so this is what our text in Ephesians 2 means when it says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. God making man with his loving, artistic care and breathing life into him. And yeah, that's the first man in Genesis 1 and 2, but it's true of you as well, because in the Psalms it says that God knits us together in our mother's womb. And so here's what all of this means, and this is what Paul's getting at when he says that we are God's handiwork. It means that your very existence is not an accident. It's due to the direct activity of God himself. And not only that, but look at the glory that each human being carries around with them. God made you in his image, in the image of God, he created you. And what that means is you have a potential for glory beyond anything you could ever dream of. Now, we've already talked about the Bible being like a mirror, But let's talk about a mirror in another way. Being the image of God means something like you're a mirror of God. That his image is reflected in you. And the more you experience the renewal that is found in Jesus Christ, the more glorious, the more bright, the more complete of a mirror you become. And so the process of renewal, actually, it's it's like the cleaning of a mirror. The more you clean off the dirt and grime, the more clear and bright the reflection. 
And what the Christian gospel offers you is to clean it all off, to wipe it all down. Clean everything that causes you to be a dim, poor reflection of God's image. It it, it can all be wiped away. That's the potential that you have. Now, very briefly, verse 10 also tells us that we have more potential to bring renewal than we could ever imagine, right? It says, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And very simply and very, very briefly, this is saying that the renewed person can't help but bring renewal. You can't help it because God's created you to do it. And the more you reflect him, the more you're going to bring renewal. And so uh, if we have more need for renewal than we could ever dare to imagine, we have more potential for renewal than we could ever dare to hope. How do we get from the need to the potential? How do we get there? How do you reach that potential? That's our third point, that you have a means for renewal that is completely outside of yourself. We've been saying all through our study in Ephesians that looking inside to find renewal is the wrong place. You won't find it there. That renewal always comes from the outside in. In fact, that that's one of the great themes of the book of Ephesians. So I want to read these verses to you again, verses 4 to 9. And as I read them, I'm going to pause on a few words, and I just, I want them to sink in. I'm okay if only one of them sinks in, but I want at least one to sink in. Okay, let me read this to you. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not, not, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. I hope one, I I hope just one of those words sink in with you. All of them point to the same truth. All of them point to the same truth, that the means for renewal is completely outside of yourself. And let me show you, there's a massive transition that happens between verses 1 and 3 and verse 4. Remember in verse 1, it says you were dead in your transgressions and sin. And then in verse 3, it says you were by nature deserving of wrath, right? That's, that's the mirror. What's the transition? Well, it's a but, and it's a big but, and I like this but. I can't lie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The transition is from death to life. It's from wrath to raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This but leads us to the truth that renewal can only come from the outside. Did you notice as as I read that, who does the action? Who's the one doing the action in every single verb? 
in those sentences. It's God. God is the one who's doing the action. We are the passive recipients of each action. We don't make ourselves alive. It says he made us alive. We don't raise ourselves up. It says he raised us up. We don't seat ourselves. It says he seats us. We don't renew ourselves. God renews us. It's from the outside in. Look at it in verse 4 and 5. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, there's two really big Christian words in these, ver- in these verses. There's mercy and there's grace. And uh, mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. It's not giving them what they earned. You commit a crime, you deserve the punishment. Mercy is uh, your sentence being commuted or pardon being given. And grace is giving someone what they don't deserve, that, that they didn't earn, right? It's a gift. And guys, this is the whole thing. This is the very heart of renewal. This is how we are renewed. What this text is telling us is that not only do we not find renewal by looking in, but if we did, if we did look in, we would only find ugliness, brokenness, and selfishness in there. But if we look out, if we look to Jesus Christ, the God who is rich in mercy makes us alive even when we're dead. That is renewal. That's renewal, being brought from death to life. And so here's what this text is telling us. This text is telling us that God treats us not as we deserve. This is mercy. Remember, we're deserving. We, by nature, are deserving wrath. But instead, he gives us his mercy and his grace to save us from that wrath. Why does he do that? Like, if we're really that messed up, if we're really that selfish, why on earth would God do that? Why would he do that? Well, it tells us in verse 4, it says, because of his great love for us. And how does he express that love? Well, he tells us in verse 7, look at this. In verse 7, God shows us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, the biblical word for kindness doesn't mean a sentimental feeling. It means not just feeling, but action. It means not just a warm intention, but it means costly action. Not just saying something, but doing it. It wasn't God's sentimental feeling that saved us. It was his kindness. In other words, it was his kind, kind action, his costly action. And notice his kindness was expressed to us in Christ Jesus. And that means Jesus Christ, he's the one who, he performed the kindly action. He did it. He didn't just say he was going to do it. He did it. And what did Jesus Christ do? Well, let's put this whole thing back together now. What we saw in verses 1 to 3 is that the essence of sin is us putting ourselves where only God deserves to be. Putting ourselves at the center of our lives, at the throne of our lives. And what is sin? It's putting ourselves where only God deserves to be. What is salvation? It's God putting himself. It's God putting himself where only we deserve to be, which is what he did at the cross. And because Jesus Christ came and took our seat where we deserve to sit. 
under wrath, under punishment, under judgment, for our rejection of God, we can have his. He didn't just take the physical suffering. He took the wrath of God in verse 3. And do you know what that means for him to take the wrath of God? It means that he was cut off from the Father. For the first time, he experienced the agony of his cries not being heard. For the first and only time, the Father who was always there, who was always with him, the one who is needed now as he'd never been needed before, for the first time, he was nowhere to be found. And so Jesus Christ taking the wrath of God means he was left with no sense of God's love, no sense of God's purpose. There was nothing but the why that he cried out in the strange darkness of midday. And that's what it means to be separated from God. That's what it means to put ourselves on the throne and to cast God away. But that's also what it means to bear the wrath of God. That is the kindness of God expressed to you. But Jesus bore the wrath of God. That's the action that he took. And he did it because of his great love for us. That Jesus Christ went into your seat so that it says now we are raised up and we are seated with him in his seat. From a seat of wrath to a seat of glory, from death to life. This is at the very heart of what it means to experience renewal. To be renewed is to receive the mercy and grace of God expressed in his kindness, which means his costly action in Jesus Christ on the cross. Now this is all from the outside in. It's all from the outside in. Notice it says that none of this is possible by our works. It says it twice. And so how does a person get this renewal? Here's how. Do you want to become the kind of person who instead of putting yourself first, you put others first? Do you want to become that kind of person? Do you want to stop living as if it's always your life for me and start living like it's my life for you? Do you want to finally move out of your own self-centeredness? Well, look at how Jesus Christ died. How he brought salvation. He saved you through the exact opposite of self-centeredness. It was complete and utter self-sacrifice. He saved you through the most radically unself-centered thing that anyone has ever done, that God himself, God the Son, who deserves nothing but glory and honor and praise, he came down and he took the nature of a servant. He humbled himself all the way to the point of death on the cross. And when you ask God to give you his love for you in Christ, when you ask God to take up the rightful place at the very center of your life and give you his love and his mercy and his grace, all of that belongs All that belongs to Jesus becomes yours. And his life begins to flow into into your life. His life begins to flow into your life. His selflessness begins to flow into your life. And so if you've never asked God to do that, if you've never invited him in, never said, God, come from the outside in, then you can do that today. You can experience renewal today. And he'll begin the process of making you like Jesus Remember we talked about the mirror being cleaned off. He will begin the process of cleaning off the mirror so that you can clearly and radiantly bear his image. That's what it means to become a Christian. But also, let me say to you, if you're already a Christian and maybe you feel like you've, you haven't been growing, maybe you feel like you've been stuck, maybe you've been growing more uh, self-centered instead of being self-giving, Remember, you have more potential for renewal than you could ever dream of. And so ask God for more. 
ask him to make you more self-giving each and every day. That's a prayer that I promise you God longs to answer in your life. But there's also another way this kind of self-giving renewal works its way from the outside in, and it works like this. The more we bring renewal into the lives of others, the more renewed we become. The two always go together. You don't become the kind of person who says my life for you without actually spending some of your life for someone else, without showing kindness, without some kind of costly action. And so you don't become a hospitable person without showing hospitality. So do you want to become more hospitable, then start doing it. You don't become a forgiving person without forgiving someone. So do you want to become a forgiving person? Then start forgiving. You don't become a patient person without exercising patience. Did you see how that works? So you just name the thing that you think, I need. this is where I need to be renewed in my life. You name that thing. You ask God to let that flow into your life, and then you go and do it. And through that, God makes you more like that. He renews you. It's as we live out the image of God, as we like a mirror reflect his character, that we become more and more a clearer mirror of that image. It's as we bring renewal into the lives of others that we become renewed ourselves. Now, if we're going to live this way, we need to ask God's help, so I'm going to ask him for that. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that it works like a mirror, that it can point out the things in our lives that really need to be challenged. Thank you that your word has done that today. Father, we all want to live up to this potential that we have of being a radiant and clear image of God in this world. And so please would you do that in us. Please would you renew us. And please, Lord, would you help us to bring renewal to others. In Jesus' name, amen.